Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. Excited that you guys are here. Before we jump into the message, let me pray for us and we will get going. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we are stoked to see what you're gonna do today. God, we pray right now that you would grab a hold of our heads, our attention, and grab a hold of our hearts. God, that you would have your way in our lives today. God, move in this place, and God, I pray for your help. I pray that you would speak with great passion, great boldness, great clarity through me. God, at the end of the day, we want the name of Jesus to be glorified in our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 11 is where we're gonna be today. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead, turn there. If not, we're gonna have the verses on the screens. And uh, what I wanna talk to to you about today a little bit is just uh, heartache and pain. Uh, Now, if you're at all like me over the last two years, it's been crazy. Uh, But but greater than that, for me personally, over the last three weeks, there have been so many people in my life that have come down with an illness, maybe a terminal illness, or that have passed away in the last three weeks. And, and just this whole concept of hurt has been so real in my life. And yet never before have I been reminded in such a powerful way that in the midst of our hurt, we have a hope, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that, that our pain and our suffering is only temporary, because of Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're in a season where, where life is just throwing you a curveball. And you find yourself hurting, you find yourself in pain, you find yourself heartbroken. And if not, unfortunately, the reality is that's right around the corner. But, but whatever it is, I believe that Jesus is gonna meet you where you're at today. And he's got some words of hope and encouragement that are gonna be great for all of us today. Now, let me set up the context of the story in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we see three great friends of Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Great friends, they love Jesus, Jesus loves them. And we're gonna see that, that Lazarus is sick. And this is what it says in John 11, starting in verse five. It says, now, Jesus loved Martha, sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Don't miss that. Uh, Like usually good friends, if you find out somebody's sick, you go to the hospital right away. Just want to clarify that, all right? You don't say, hey, okay, great. I'll go there in a couple days. And yet, why did Jesus do that? We're going to see that in just a moment. A couple verses later in John 11, 14 and 15, then Jesus told them, speaking of his disciples, plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And we're reminded at the beginning of this historical account that the greatest passion that Jesus Christ has for your life and mine is that we would believe in him, that we would believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, and that's the resurrection in the life. There's three realities that I want all of us to see in in chapter 11 today. And if you're taking notes uh, in your outlines, go ahead and write these down. Number one, point number one is the reality of pain. It's simply pain. Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha are deeply saddened by the fact that their brother has died, but they're also saddened by the reality 
that Jesus was not there to heal him. And this is what it says later on in chapter 11, 32. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, Jesus, uh, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, you could have done something about this. And then verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse we have in the Bible. Now, uh, I was six, seven, eight years old. I grew up in a family. I was, I was a drug baby. Um, my parents drugged me to church. All right, just want to throw that out there. Um, some of you are just getting that. I'm going to wave that for, you know, just a second. You got a few slow people in the congregation today. Uh, no, but my parents made me go to church. And I remember going to Sunday school, six, seven, eight years old, and we would have to memorize a verse of scripture. And, and there were several spiritual people there that would pick difficult verses and not me. I would go home and I would come back and, and the Sunday school teacher would say, Jeremy, what verse of scripture did you memorize? And too often I would say, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept, right? That was it. Why? Because it was the shortest verse in scripture. I was so unspiritual. Some of you are thinking, Jeremy, you should not be a pastor. I know, all right? I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not used who I used to be. Now I am memorizing verses that have three words and not two, all right? I've come a long ways. But Jesus wept. Now, why, why did he cry? Because Mary was crying. Don't miss this. It says that Jesus was moved, that his heart was greatly troubled. Jesus cried because Mary cried. Here's the person that could take away the whole point of her crying in the first place. And he knows he's going to, but what does he do? He, he cries simply because she's crying. Why does he do that? Because he loves her. Some of the times the most powerful thing you can do for somebody else that you love when they are hurting, when they are crying, is simply just sit next to them and cry with them. You know, Jesus knows you better than anybody else knows you. The secrets that you've told nobody else, Jesus knows about. In fact, the future, the stuff that you haven't even done yet, Jesus knows what you're going to do before you even do it. And yet, in your secrets, in your darkest times, in those moments of regret, in your guilt and your shame, Jesus loves you more than anybody else will ever love you. That's unconditional love. In verse 36, it says this. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Couldn't Jesus have kept him from dying? Friends, the answer is, of course he could have. But there was a purpose in the midst of their pain. Please don't miss this. Some of you are hurting today so deeply and there is a purpose in the midst of your pain that you can't even see. God is working behind the scenes in ways that you will never even know. Why? Because his greatest desire is that people will believe. Your pain is not random. God loves you in the midst of your pain, but God is working in ways that we will never even begin to recognize because his greatest hope for humanity is that we would believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, the resurrection and the life. Now, what does Jesus want you to know in the midst of your pain? It's the same thing he wanted Mary to know. 
I love you. I see your pain. I know your pain. I understand your pain. Now, how could Jesus understand our pain? Because he experienced it. Jesus had a family that didn't understand him. He was misunderstood. Jesus felt felt abandoned by the father in his time of pain on the cross. Jesus had his greatest friends deny knowing him in his greatest time of need. Not only that, Jesus experienced crucifixion on the cross, the most barbaric, painful death somebody could possibly experience. So Jesus knows your pain. And you're not alone. You're not alone in the midst of your pain. Now, here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that that God's timing and his perspective is different than ours. And here's what I mean by this. God is never late. There's times where you may be thinking, God, where are you? God is never late. Why? Because he works on a different timetable. His timetable is eternal. Ours is the temporary. His perspective is the eternal. Ours is the here and the now. And so God works at a different timetable. He has a different perspective in the midst of our pain. You know, I believe uh, one of the greatest sources of hurt and pain that we will have on this life is when somebody we love dies. Uh, the deepest part of that is when, a, when a, one of our children die. That, that is what I believe the, the deepest, greatest source of pain is when a mom or a dad loses a child. And we have a heavenly father that understands that. Because when we do lose a son or a daughter, our prayer is that they would not suffer. And not only did God send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we would not have to die and take care of our sins, his son suffered a horrific death. He understands the greatest source of pain that we could ever experience because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have life in our pain. God wants us to know that you are loved, that he has a plan, that he has a purpose, that you are not alone. And when you hurt, Jesus hurts. But that's not the end of the story. Because the second reality we see is a promise. Point two in your notes, a promise. What does Jesus do when he shows up on the scene? He responds with a promise about himself. And I love this because this is what he says with, with, with Martha. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love that. Mary and Martha tell Jesus the exact same thing. They're both making statements. One is going to have a conversation with Jesus. One's just crying. What does Jesus do? He does the same thing for both. He meets them exactly where they're at. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus knows your pain. He knows your suffering. He knows your doubt. He knows your rebellion. He knows your sin. And Jesus will always meet you exactly where you're at. That's the love of Jesus. Because it's perfect love. Passage goes on and says this, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then in verse 25, Jesus gives this promise. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who dies and lives, who lives, believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I love that. He puts Martha on the spot. Jesus says on the resurrection and in the life, even though you die, you're always gonna live. And when you live, you're never gonna die. Do you believe this? What does it mean when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life? I believe there's three powerful realities. Number one is that Jesus is the source of life. Jesus has the power over death. Hey, hey all things are possible through Jesus Christ. Hey, I, I am the author I am the giver of life itself. Not only that, when Jesus says this, second of all, don't miss this. He's claiming to be God. Why? Because only God could say this. Only God could say, I've got power over death. Only God could say, I am the resurrection and the life. And thirdly, not only that, it's personified. It's not just that he's the source of it. He is it. Jesus is saying, I am life. Like life is found in me. Don't miss that. That's why in John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was claiming not just to be the power behind life, but to be life itself. And then he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? And notice how she responds. This is what Martha says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Now, when Martha says, I believe that you are the Christ who's come into the world, he, she's saying, Christ, Messiah, you're the long awaited one. You're, you're the one that, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, the promise, the one who would be the perfect sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, but not only that, you're the son of God. What does that mean? That you are God in the flesh. God, God, I, I believe you are who you say you are. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. Is that Jesus Christ has come into this world to deal with the greatest issue in our life. Friends, our, our greatest issue is not COVID. Our greatest issue is not politics. Our greatest issue is not the school system. Our greatest issue is not inflation. Our greatest issue is sin. Why? Because we are powerless. And so what did God do? He sent his son to deal with the one issue in our lives that we cannot deal with ourselves, and that's sin. He went to the cross in our place for our sins. And he took our sin upon himself, and he gives us his righteousness and we celebrate Easter because three days later, Jesus conquers sin. Jesus conquers death. Amen, church? That's why we're here. Because he lives, we also shall live. I'm starting to preach up in here. Watch out. Romans 6.23 says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, for what we earn is, is death. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But the free gift of God, the free gift, we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, we can only receive it, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where is eternal life? It's only found in Jesus Christ. It's not in your efforts. It's not in trying to be a good person. It's not in trying to please God. 
It's solely found in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through his resurrection. John 3.16 says it this way, for God so loved the world. Why did God do what he did? Love, love was the motivation that he gave his only son, only son. Now, some of you have six, seven, eight, nine, 10 kids. You don't really understand the significance of this because you're like, if you've got 10 kids, you're like, I know where eight of them are. That's 80%. That's a B minus. That's passing. Some of you haven't seen some of your kids for a couple days. All right. It's, it's some of you are like, hey, pastor, you don't know what I was talking. I was just talking to a friend in the ministry mall uh, who has a family friend. They were going to church. They've got seven kids. They had to turn around and go home. You know why? They forgot one of their kids at home on Easter. All right. This is real. Um, no judgment. If that's never, ha if that's happened to you before, no judgment here. You just need to come to our series starting next weekend. All right. Just throwing that out there. But his only son. So when you only have one, man, it's special. I never understood the love of God fully and I still don't, but I understood it more when I was holding my only son, my firstborn son in my hands after he was born. And to know that God loved me so much that he gave his only son to die the death I deserved to die so I could live a life that only Christ could live. It goes on and says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the hope that we have in Christ. It's the hope is that Jesus is who he said he is. That's why the angel said in Matthew 28, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. We serve a God that always keeps his promises. So when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he means it because he proved it on Easter. That means that sin will not have the last word. It means that death will not have the last word. It means that COVID will not have the last word. Your broken relationships will not have the last word. Your disappointments won't have the last word. Your pain and suffering won't have the last word. Jesus will have the last word. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what the resurrection is, is all about. Whether it's sin or death, Jesus says, I have the last word. And that's the promise that we have in Jesus. So we see that there's pain. But in that pain, Jesus responds with a promise that he is the resurrection in the life. And then the third reality we see is, is peace. Point three in your notes is simply peace. Jesus is offering to us the same thing that he offers to Martha. It's, it's this peace. In fact, Philippians chapter four says it's a, it's a peace that surpasses understanding that will guard our hearts and minds. You know, when I, when I, I think about this peace, it's a peace that I've encouraged so many people with lately that have experienced the loss of a loved one. Got a, a friend named Mary, same name as the lady in this story. And she, she had her husband pass away about three weeks ago. And I said, Mary, your, your husband loved Jesus. He's not really dead. He's just transitioned and life is just really starting. It's the peace that we have because of the promise of Jesus. My best friend, his, his brother passed away just a couple weeks ago. And I went up to Dave and said, Dave, Mike's with Jesus. Like as difficult as this moment is right now, when we die as Christians, that's when we're fully alive. That's when life truly begins for all of eternity. 
Now, friends, I don't, I don't really understand this fully because I have not had somebody, like a family member, super close to me pass away. But, but here is the piece that I have. Some of you know that I've got a 17-year-old son named Jacob, and um, he was born uh, with a chromosome disorder, which means he doesn't walk, he doesn't talk, he doesn't eat through his mouth. It's 100% uh, reliant on myself, my wife, and other people to help take care of him. But here's my, my piece, that one of these days, Jacob's gonna be taken home to be with the Lord. And when he dies, he's not really gonna die. He's gonna transition into heaven. You know what's gonna happen there? He's gonna be running around. He's gonna be running around. He's gonna be eating double bacon cheeseburgers, right? Sushi for days. He'll probably be a Dodger fan because I believe those are the people that go to heaven. Um, <laughs> Says, I got to mess with you just a little bit on Easter. But that's the peace I, I have. It's a, it's a peace that surpasses understanding, which means that no matter what happens in this life, I'm good. Because the people I, I know and love have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what happens in this story. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor for he has been in there for he has been dead for days. Not like for days, but four days, right? <laughs> and I love that it says odor in the King James version. Some of you guys are old school. You like the King James. I love what it says. It doesn't say odor. It says, and he stinketh. That's just weird, right? <laughs> The Jeremy translation is like, he stank, all right? Goes on and said, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I, I love this. Here's Jesus. Jesus has just boldly said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, Though he dies, will live. And when he lives, he's never gonna die. Do you believe this? Now, what does he do? He raises Lazarus from the dead four days later, proving that he is the resurrection and the life. And what does he say to Laz? He says, guys, take off those linen strips. Why? Because he's no longer dead. Let's speak to, to Christians just for a moment. Some of you need to take off your linen strips. Because spiritually speaking, you are walking like a dead person and you should be walking like someone who's fully alive. What, does it hap what happens when we are walking with our, our linen on and our, those strips? It only trips us up. There comes a point in our lives, and this is great, when we decide to turn our life over to Jesus, what's the first thing that we need to do? We need to repent. What is repentance? Biblical repentance is a change of mind, a change of thinking that always results in a new direction to change life. In other words, the, the sin that we used to love, the sin that we used to be drawn to, we are now disgusted by, and we turn our life over to Jesus, the one who we used to reject, now we're receiving as the source of life. That is biblical 
repentance. You know, there was a Canadian scientist, G.B. Hardy. And one time he said this, quote, when I looked at religion, I said, I have two questions. He said, one, has anyone ever conquered death? And two, if they have, did they make a way for me to conquer death? I checked the tomb of Buddha. It was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius. It was occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad. It was occupied. And I came to the tomb of Jesus. And it was empty. And I said, there is one who has conquered death. And I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to do it? And I opened the Bible and I discovered that he said, because I live, ye also shall live. Church, let me put this together for you. And this is in your notes. In your pain, you have a promise that gives you never ending peace. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. That we don't need to be afraid of death. Why? Because death is not the end. It's just the beginning. In your pain, you have a promise that gives you never-ending peace. And his name is Jesus. Now the world will, will think that it can give you peace. But I would argue that it's not even temporary peace. It's just numbing the pain. And you can turn to substances, you can turn to sports, you can turn to anything you want, scrolling TikTok all day long, and maybe you can escape for a little bit. And, and I'm not saying that TikTok's wrong, right? Um, it's, it, it's fine. But if we're not careful, we're just trying to numb the pain instead of dealing with the pain itself. Jesus is the only one that can deal with the pain of sin in our life. And he deals with, with our pain at its source. It's sin. So when you have no Jesus in your life, N-O, you're going to have no peace. But when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when you K-N-O-W Jesus, only then and, and then alone can you know peace and experience peace. This is the peace that Jesus offers us in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Friends, it's the same question that Jesus is asking every one of you today. Do you believe this? I love that. <laughs> Kids unashamed. If you couldn't hear that upstairs or in the ministry, my way had a little kid that just said, yes. And I love that because... My prayer is that every single one of you would say yes, that you truly would believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Now, here's, here's the reality. A couple things to keep in mind. Number one is that Jesus' invitation is available to everyone. You may think you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. doesn't matter. 
God knows and he loves you just the same. There's nothing you could ever do that would cause God to love you any less. Second of all, no one can earn their way to heaven. You ask eight out of 10 people, hey, why would God let you into heaven? People will say, because I'm a pretty good person. The Bible says that there is no one good, not even one. Why? Because God's standard is perfection. He's holy. He cannot allow any sin into heaven. So the issue is that we have to have someone that can deal with the sin issue in our life that separates us from God. Only Jesus Christ could do that. And then thirdly, there's no straddling the fence. We can only accept or reject Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people that want to have enough Jesus in their life that make them feel good about themselves. So they'll go to church from time to time. And they'll pray from time to time. But they also want to be in control of their life. Friends, it doesn't work that way. Jesus is either Lord over all or not Lord at all. Do you believe this? greatest prayer is that you would say yes to the fact that Jesus and Jesus Christ alone is the resurrection in the life. In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to dedicate or rededicate your life to the Lord. If you've never done this or if you've strayed from the Lord, can't lose your salvation, but boy, maybe you're not living for him. I'm going to give you the opportunity to get right with Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for every single person, God, in this worship center, in the ministry mall, watching in our overflow, watching at home, watching online, God, wherever we're at today. God, we recognize in a powerful way that Jesus came to do what we are incapable of doing ourselves and that save us from our sin. And he proved power over sin, proved power over death by rising from the grave on Easter. That's why we celebrate today. So in the best way that we know how, we say thank you. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around. It's just a moment between you and God. If you're here today and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, you want to give your life to the Lord for the first time, you can do it through a simple prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. It's the attitude of the heart that goes something like this. Dear Jesus, I need you. I take full responsibility for my sin. And I repent. I turn from it. And I turn to you the only one that can save me, the only one that can give me life, the only one that can deal with the sin in my life. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. And today I want to start brand new. I want to be born again. Moving forward, you're calling the shots. You're in control. And in the best way that I know how, I put my life in your hands. And I ask that you would make me into the person that you want me to be.